want to think with you this morning about salvation. What does it mean to be saved? How does it happen? We're in a series of sermons based on Paul's letter to the Romans, which is his theological letter. Uh, and the major theme we find throughout Romans and throughout his other letters too, but especially in Romans, is the theme of salvation in Christ. Now, to be honest, sometimes when we read Romans, it's a little difficult to understand exactly what Paul's talking about. But then all of a sudden, life's experiences can drive his message home. A man once came to me wanting to know what it meant to be saved. He had been battling cancer for a number of years. He also had some major heart trouble and other physical complications. And recently his doctor had told him that his cancer was spreading again and to some vital organs. So he didn't really know whether he had a few weeks, a few months, or even a year left to live. The man had invited me to lunch, clearly with the intention of talking about salvation. How do you know if you're in a right relationship with the Lord? He asked me. What exactly does it mean to be saved? And who is saved? You know what was on his mind. If the end of his life seemed pretty imminent, he was getting serious about his relationship with the Lord. More specifically, the question of will he go to heaven when he dies? Being saved has to do with our security, our welfare, our health, our wholeness, our joy, and our blessings in this world and the next. It means being saved from pain and suffering of sin and destruction. It means quality of life, fullness of life, meaning in life, all that is worthwhile, both here and now, and then and forever. If you ask the average Christian what salvation means, what does it mean to be saved? You would probably get the response, it means going to heaven when you die. Well, there's nothing wrong with that answer, except it's not enough. Going to heaven when you die is certainly the ultimate eternal hope of every believer. But what about before you die? Does being saved have much to do with the quality of life that we experience right now in this world? I believe it does. I believe that being saved has as much to do with life before death as it does with life after death. Week after week, you hear Clay talk about this in his sermons, although he might use different language. 
But we live in an increasingly secular world. What does that mean? My favorite definition of secular is that it doesn't mean that you don't believe in God, but it means you live your life as if God doesn't matter. We're moving away more and more from the Judeo-Christian faith and worldview to what some call today a postmodern secular worldview. In 2005, for example, two-thirds of American adults said that their religious faith was very important to them. Ten years later, in 2015, only 50% of Americans said that. Or to put it another way, people might say that their Judeo-Christian values are important to them, but the way they live shows they aren't as important to them as something else. And that's what we call idolatry, when anything else becomes more important than God. Of course, you and I live in what's called the Bible Belt, a small part of our country where going to church and reading your Bible are still important to people. But most of our nation, over 80% of the population, is emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually distant from that. And among those who do go to church, they are comfortable with faith as long as it provides the benefits they want, but is not demanding or restraining. In other words, they like the savior part about Jesus. They're just not so sure about the Lord part. So how has this increasing secularization affected our nation, affected your life and mine as we live from day to day? Well, you know the answer. We're affected in so many, many ways. But I'm not so sure we've yet put two and two together to figure it out. I'm waiting for people to wake up to this reality. Here are some of the effects that we live with. Fewer American parents today, fewer than they've ever found since polling began, believe that their children will live in a world and a life better than they have experienced. Violent crime is getting worse every day, while confidence in the police continually declines. People distrust government and now social institutions and increasingly distrust big business. People feel victimized, powerless, and incredibly isolated. Loneliness, as you hear repeatedly, has become the number one health problem in our society today. And as a result of all this, depression, divorce, loss of family life, and suicide keep increasing. And inflation, the housing crisis, rising medical costs, global warming, crazy weather conditions due to the environment, all these things just put those feelings on steroids. But as I said, you already know that, whether you realize it or not. We live with it every day. 
our families experience it, our friends experience it, and talk about it. But do we talk about why? But another question we might ask, and I ask, I'll say, who's going to turn things around? Who's going to fix things? Government's not going to do it. Politicians clearly aren't going to do it. Big business isn't going to sacrifice their profits to do it. Higher education, in many cases, is only added to the problem. And unfortunately, organized religion hasn't done that great a job either. Is there anyone who can save us? Oh my gosh, we need a savior. We're like the people in the Bible who needed a savior because they couldn't save themselves. Now, what do you think salvation means on this side of death? What do you think it means to be saved now? Only a rediscovery and return to the values, the morals, and the worldview of our Christian faith can there be hope to turn things around and keep us humans from destroying our own paradise. So Paul emphasizes repeatedly throughout Romans and his other letters that Christ alone can save us. Romans 1.6 says, God saves all people who have faith. Romans 5.9, we will be saved by faith. Romans 10.9 and 13, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or as Paul sums up in another one of his letters, we are saved by grace through faith. So all we have to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and get baptized and we will be saved. Now, wait a minute. A little bit later in the Bible, there's a guy named James who says, well, what good is it if you have faith, but you don't have works? Can faith save you, faith by itself? Faith by itself, as it has no works, is dead and useless. Uh-oh, Houston, we got a problem here. This guy named James, who just happens to be the brother of Jesus, says that faith alone will not save you. You've got to do good works. Which is it? The fact is, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Paul is right when he says we are saved by faith, not works. But James is also right when he says that if our faith doesn't transform our lives and lead us to become more like Jesus and lead us to do good works, lead us to a Christian moral lifestyle, it's not a saving faith, it's not a true faith, it is really only dead and useless. You could say that Paul is preaching to new converts, wanting them to believe, and James is preaching to those who have been Christians a long time, wanting them to grow in their faith and their understanding. But they don't disagree with each other 
They actually complement each other. And in reality, Paul talks about good works as much or more uh, than he just talks about faith. None of his writings, no matter how theological or doctrinal they might be, end without expressing faith in action or what we call the good works. So again, putting Paul and James together, we can say we are saved by God's grace through faith, but a faith that doesn't lead us to do good works is not a saving faith. Of course, for Jesus, the one who saves us, the whole matter of faith and works go together. He summed up the law and the prophets by saying, First of all, you used to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That's faith. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's works. He began his public ministry by reading from the prophet Isaiah that he has been sent to bring good news to the poor, healing to the blind, to let the oppressed and the captives go free. And how did he end his public ministry? With the parable of the the last judgment, saying that salvation comes when you care for the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the homeless, the sick, those in prison. And he even said, as you do it to one of the least of these, you do it unto me. So being saved, means truly believing in and trusting Jesus Christ to the degree that you carry out his mission in this world, especially to the least of these. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus with your lips, if you don't say it also with your lives. It's not enough to say, what a friend we have in Jesus, unless you nourish that friendship by spending time on a regular daily basis with the Lord. It's not enough to say, I love God, if you don't also love your brothers and sisters in the human family. It's not enough to pray for the poor and the unfortunate unless you do something to help them. It questions the integrity of your prayer. It's not enough to be a peace lover. But Jesus said, you've got to be a peacemaker. You cannot be humble the way Jesus meant humility to be if you consider yourself better than others. It means nothing to have Christian stickers on your car if you choose to run red lights and stop signs. And it means nothing to wear a cross around your neck if you're a gossip. We are saved by grace through faith, but it's not a saving faith if it doesn't change your character to make you more like Jesus, especially in the way that you treat others. So would you say that you're a part of those who are saved in Christ?